Life down here is a lot. From every angle, corner, and edge. Sometimes it's just too much, too complex. It can be easy to miss how he's at work all around us, moving throughout the patterns and forms of this world. But when we seek and find with all our heart, we discover that it all comes down to the same fundamental designs. And then we can rest in the revelation of empty space. Clarity comes when we humbly clear away the mess and devote ourselves to a deeper connection. Setting our minds to gain understanding. To see the beauty in simplicity. As he helps us see that less is more. Hey, Cornwall Church, thank you so much for being with us uh, this weekend. Uh, it's, been a, it's been a troubling week in our country. Uh, a lot of uh, things that have been disheartening, uh, disappointing, and it's been quite a reminder that we live in a fallen, broken world where sin abounds and where there's violence and division and hatred, and, and, uh, and it's been difficult. The, the one other reminder is that it's a reminder that our ultimate hope is not in a political party or a candidate or even a nation, as we talked about all last fall. Our hope is in the King of Kings, Jesus Christ, in the fact that we're a part of an unshakable kingdom in the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven that we get to be a part of. And as I was thinking about uh, the events that, that happened this week uh, and reminded of, of the fallen, broken world that we live in, I read an article about uh, a man who said this is what he felt like a Christian's response to this, these events would be. One is to recognize before judging or condemning, to recognize that we're all fallen and broken and to humbly uh, repent and, and as it were, take the log out of our own eye before we start picking specks out of others, which Pastor Scott preached about several weeks ago. Another one is to, to re-up our commitment to pray, to pray for our country, to pray for our leaders, to pray for our world. And then it was with our attitudes, with our words, and with our actions to not avoid this world, but to engage our culture so that we could bring hope, so that we could be the light of the world, so that we could be the salt of the earth, so that we could be an agent of healing and, and to bring about grace and to bring about justice and to bring about reconciliation and to bring about hope. And, and I want us as followers of Christ to do that. Uh, and I just wonder before we go any further, if you would join me as, uh, as I pray uh, for us as followers of Christ, but for our nation as well. And Father, our hearts were broken this week, and remember that your heart was broken as well. Whenever you see discord and violence, and whenever you see the division and the hatred, it breaks your heart, not because you're American, but because you are the God of peace and reconciliation and and you've bridged the gap, and, and you long for, for people to live in that. And so I pray for us, as your followers, that we would bring hope into our dark world and, and light and life and grace and justice, and, and we would engage in a way that is honoring to you, in a way that brings your kingdom to bear on this earth. So continue to work in our hearts, transforming the darkness, the brokenness, the sin, the fallenness within us and use us to reflect the grace and the, the forgiveness 
and the reconciliation that we've received and to bring that to this world. We pray this in your name and for your glory. Amen. Amen. So we're a week and a half into a brand new year, and maybe some of your uh, resolutions have already fallen by the wayside. Maybe you're still hanging in there with some of them. You know, one of the great goals that I would have for each one of us for this year can be found in the final words of a letter that Peter wrote in 2 Peter chapter 3 when he says this, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. To grow, to have this spiritual growth. And at the end of this year, to be able to say, I have grown in my spiritual journey all to the glory of God. And what's amazing about this verse is he uses this phrase, to grow in the grace. Grace is such a beautiful picture. This unmerited favor. This goodness that God bestows on us that we have not earned, we don't deserve it, we could never repay it, it's not remuneration, it's not a loan, it's not something that's, that's owed to us, it's this one-way gift from God, and so it would be easy to think, well, since it's from God and there's nothing I can do to earn it or deserve it or to even repay it, then there's really, I'm, you know, I'm hands off, this is just however much grace God gives to me, and yet Peter says, grow in grace, and how do, we, how do we do that? Well, um, let's go back to Dallas Willard. And he gave this incredible quote. And I've heard portions of this over the years. But I want you to hear it in its context. Willard says this, The path of spiritual growth in the riches of Christ is not a passive one. This is, this is the classic line. Grace is not opposed to effort. It is opposed to earning. Effort is action. Earning is attitude. You have never seen people more active than those who have been set on fire by the grace of God. I love that. Grace is not opposed to effort. Effort is action. And what we're going to talk about today and for the next few weeks, what we're entering into as a church is going to take effort and it's going to take action because what we're talking about is this ancient spiritual discipline, this ancient spiritual exercise, this ancient spiritual practice that the people of God have utilized and leveraged in their lives with effort and with action for literally thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of years. You know, we're talking about the spiritual discipline of fasting. And we're going to be talking about that for a while. Um, you know, I thought about if, if it were possible for you to get into a DeLorean and do some time travel and travel several hundred years in the future, uh, you, you get down the road, I don't know, three, five, seven, a thousand years, however long, you, you travel to the future, you get out in the future, and the first thing that, that shocks you is, <laughs> can you imagine the technological advances and what have you? The second thing is that, well, that Mick Jagger and Keith Richards are still performing, that they're still alive. But you go to church, let's say hundreds of years down the road, you go to church, and there you recognize that while the methods may be extremely different, the message is still the same. It's still the grace of God. It's still his forgiveness. It's still the Holy Spirit. It's still the word of God. But as you spend some time in the future, in the church, you notice that, that there's something conspicuously missing. You, you visited several churches. You've been around for several months. And you've noticed that no one, no one ever baptizes anybody. I mean, it doesn't even matter the style. It doesn't matter. No one sprinkles. No one pours. No one does immersion. There's no baptisms at all. And it's rarely even talked about. And inside, there would be a part of you who would be thinking, baptism is such a powerful thing, and, and it's so encouraging, and, and it's so 
clear biblically. Why is it that no one does the baptism thing anymore? With that thought, our brothers and sisters from hundreds and thousands of years ago, if they could be fast forwarded to today, might look at the church and say, no one fasts. No one even talks about it. And it's such a powerful thing. It's such a, a meaningful thing. And the Bible is so clear about this, that we are called to be engaged in this ancient spiritual discipline of fasting. Now, last year, a year ago, I did a series on fasting, kind of the what, the when, the, the what, the how, and the why of fasting, and, and looking at that. And then we engaged in a 21-day exercise to invite anyone who would want to to be a part of that and to fast. What I want to do today is do a little bit of a refresher on that and, and to, to kind of remind us about this thing of fasting. And we're also going to be talking about this for a few weeks and entering into another season uh, where you are invited to be a part of this. And one of the kind of, I guess, the working definition for fasting that we utilized last year was when it comes to biblical fasting, biblical fasting, different from some other ones, biblical fasting is this voluntary denial for spiritual purposes. Voluntary denial for spiritual purposes. It's voluntary. The truth is this, for the last 10 months, we've been doing some involuntary fasting. There's some things that we have not been allowed to do, mandated against or directed that we should not or could not do. This is not a mandate. This is voluntary, and it's a denial. It's saying no to, to some desires. It's saying no even to some needs, and it's biblical fasting is for spiritual purposes. Now, this is different. There's other kind of fasting that is beneficial. There's medical fasting, and there's fasting for health purposes or for weight loss purposes, for cleansing purposes. Biblical fasting is not primarily about our physical health. There's political fasting or cause fasting. People have gone on hunger strikes to bring attention to a, 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 an injustice that needs to be set, you know, set right. And that's, that's all good, but that's not the biblical fasting that we're talking about. And for some, they might even say, well, the, I'm doing some fasting for financial reasons. I'm going to say no to some things to save some money, and that's wonderful. That's not the primary purpose of biblical fasting. Biblical fasting is when I voluntarily say no to something for a spiritual purpose. And what you see throughout the pages of Scripture is that people fasted, and they prayed, and they fasted, and they worshiped, and they fasted to humble themselves before God, and to repent before God, and to prepare themselves to be, you know, in the presence of God, or to, to be right with God. They fasted for spiritual guidance and wisdom. They fasted for a breakthrough and power in prayer. They, they fasted for, for all of these various reasons. And you just see throughout the pages of Scripture, people who would fast over and over again. I mean, let me just give you a, a, a cursory who's who's list. Moses fasted, Joshua fasted, Daniel fasted, and his buddies, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they fasted. David fasted, uh, Esther fasted, and she got her, her uncle Mordecai to fast, and actually all of Israel to fast with her for three days. Ezra fasted, Elijah fasted, the, the old widow Anna fasted, the, the woman Hannah fasted in the Old Testament. John the Baptist fasted. The New Testament church fasted. Paul and Barnabas fasted. And you can't pass this one up. Jesus fasted. And I think if any of them would be brought to the church today, they'd say, why, why don't people fast anymore? 
And, and granted, there, there's some that do, but we want to continue to grow in this grace of fasting. In the New Testament church, in Acts chapter 13, we read this, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, kind of this is just a part of their natural worship of God, that worship encompasses more than just singing a few songs. Part of their worship is their worshiping and fasting. And the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So while they're worshiping, they're fasting, and in the midst of this, the Holy Spirit gives them some very clear directions, puts a very clear call on some of their, their um, leaders, and then empowers them to do what he had called them to do. Very, very important deal. Now, as I mentioned, there are so many examples of fasting throughout the pages of Scripture. That there are so many different sermons I could preach with so many different characters and so many different circumstances, so many different situations. What I want to do in our time today is I want us to look at Jesus specifically what he did, what he practiced regarding fasting, what he modeled, and what he taught regarding fasting. So I, I want us to look at his life. I want us to look at his teachings. And, and then at the end, I want to get uh, real practical with some suggestions for us as we enter into this. Now with Jesus, when it comes to fasting, many of you know, right after he was baptized by his relative John the Baptist, he was led by the Spirit. That's a key point here. He was led by the Spirit into the wilderness where he spent 40 days. And in those 40 days, he is praying and he is fasting. And I believe that in those 40 days of prayer and fasting, that there's a closeness that he experiences with his heavenly Father. I think that there are some things that the Father revealed to him, maybe for the first time as he's entering into his public ministry. There's some direction, some guidance, and some power that came from that time of prayer and fasting. And so Jesus shows from the very beginning of his ministry this priority of fasting. But this, I don't believe, is the only time that Jesus fasted, and it's definitely just the beginning because he talks about it several times as well. What is fascinating is how often when Jesus talks about fasting, he he speaks in a way that is corrective. Like to say, you've been doing this wrong. You've seen this modeled in a way that's not correct. Let me kind of set things straight. And most of the time when he talks about fasting, he's saying, okay, don't do it this way. Let me show you. And let me show you the right way. And, and let me show you what's going to happen. And so he, he gives us this, this uh, way that we can know the kind of fasting that honors God and will impact our lives as well. So I want to look at three or four different instances with Jesus in his life, and we're going to kind of be all over, so just hang with me as we do this uh, cursory run-through of Jesus' life uh, uh, regarding fasting. As I mentioned last fall, we spent the better part of three months going through the best sermon ever, looking at what Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount, and with that, we had to skip over big sections of the Sermon on the Mount. One of the biggest sections that we had to skip over was in the first part of Matthew chapter 6, right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. And there where Jesus is talking about this kingdom culture, what it looks like to live life in the kingdom, what it means to be a citizen in the kingdom. He talks about things that are very familiar to his followers. He talks about giving and generosity. They understood that. He talks about prayer. In fact, that's where he, he gave them the Lord's Prayer. And then at the end of that, after talking about giving and he talked about prayer, then he talks about this ancient spiritual discipline. So in Matthew chapter 6, back to the Sermon on the Mount, verse 16, he starts off and he says, when you fast. Notice he doesn't say, if you fast. And he doesn't say, 
you must fast. He says, when you fast. Now, so as I think about his choice of words here, no doubt his listeners were very familiar with the discipline, uh, the practice of fasting. So he doesn't have to explain what it is. He doesn't have to go into a lot of details. They're very familiar with it. And it kind of implies that it is such a, a, a normal practice amongst people in those days that it's kind of a foregone conclusion. Yes, of course. Uh, or maybe it's this assumption that, well, absolutely, those who are part of my kingdom, they will fast. And this is the very first time he teaches on fasting. And as he begins his first teaching on fasting, it's corrective. So he says, when you fast, do not, do not. So right at the beginning, he's saying, let, let me tell you what not to do. Because they've seen it modeled. They've seen the wrong way. And he says, you know, don't do this the way you've seen it done because what people would do is they'd make it real obvious that they were fasting. They'd make it uh, really clear that everyone, you know, who's involved here is miserable. And it was kind of this exhibition for people to say, wow, look at how spiritual they are. Look at what a godly person they are. Look, they're, they're so sacrificial. Wow, that's amazing. And he says, no, no, that's completely wrong. Don't do it that way. But what he doesn't say is, so don't fast at all. He says, no, no, don't fast in the wrong way, with the wrong motive, with the wrong audience. And then he gives some, some instructions on how to fast. He says, make sure that your heart and your motive is that you're doing this for God, that you're drawing close to God. It's not for other people to see. That's, that's not the motive. That's not the desire. And when you do that, then God's going to reward you. Otherwise, everyone else will think you're so great, and you might as well enjoy that because you're not going to get any other benefits out of it. Well, a few, um, at another time, Jesus tells a story that kind of, kind of implies that this wrongful fasting was very common. In Luke chapter 18, uh, he tells a fictitious story, but he tells it in such a way that you're thinking, while the character is made up, the actions are not that unrealistic. This the people identified with this. And he tells this story for people who are very self-righteous and very smug in, in, their, own, their, own, uh, in their own selves and their own being. He tells about this man who goes to the temple and he's praying to himself, praying about himself, and he's just praising himself, basically. In the midst of that, his prayer is, and Lord, I fast twice a week. To which the listeners are probably saying, yes, we get that. We understand that. Good. That's, he's a godly man. Now, let me give you just one small little rabbit trail, some historical cultural context for this. In the Old Testament, God mandated a fast one time a year on the Day of Atonement when all the sins of Israel were to be forgiven he asked the people to deny themselves, to not work, to fast during that day. Makes sense. And there was a time in Zechariah's uh, writing where he talked about four fasts in a year to commemorate some very uh, dramatic and horrible things that had happened in the overthrow of Jerusalem. But that, didn't, that wasn't commanded as an ongoing deal. So there really was only one day that it was mandated. Now, there were different times. As I said, Esther had, you know, called Israel to fast for three days. And, and uh, even the, the uh, uh, king of, of Nineveh um, had called all of the, these non-Jewish people to fast and, and to repent and to pray. But through the years, 
there had become this tradition in the Jewish culture, and especially with the, the religious leaders, that they would fast on Monday and Thursday, twice a week, Monday and Thursday. Monday and Thursday was believed to be the days that Moses ascended and descended from Mount Sinai, so they chose those days. It just so happened it was convenient as well, I read in one commentary, that those also happened to be market days, which brought the most people to Jerusalem, so it had the biggest audience, so it was really convenient to have more people say, wow, look how spiritual you are. Okay, all that said, he gives this story about this man who says, I pray twice a week, Monday and Thursday. Apparently, a very common practice. Another story, Matthew chapter 9. Jesus sees this tax collector. His name is Matthew. Now, I'm not going to go into a lot of detail because we're going to look at this in about four or five weeks. He goes to Matthew's house, and he and his disciples are having a meal with Matthew and his friends. And people are disgruntled. The religious leaders are very disgruntled about this, that Jesus would be having a meal with tax collectors and sinners. And his disciples are there too. Why would this supposedly holy rabbi, you know, be with these people. I wonder, I just wonder if it wasn't just about who he was eating with, but when he was eating. And I, want, I, I, I have this suspicion that this may have been on a Monday or a Thursday. Because right after that account in Matthew chapter 9, it says in verse 14, the first word of chapter 9, then... Then, like in chronological order, after he's had this dinner at Matthew's house, then John's disciples, now we're talking about John the Baptist, has some followers as well. John's disciples came and asked him, asked Jesus, how is it that we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And now, this is kind of interesting. Because John has these followers, these disciples, these apprentices, these students that are learning from him. And they know some of Jesus' disciples because some of Jesus' disciples at one time had been some of John's disciples. And I wonder if there's a little bit like, well, no wonder Andrew jumped ship. They get to eat. We have to fast. Maybe there's a little bit of like, what a lightweight. He goes over there and they're eating. Here's another thing. Is that John the Baptist probably doesn't want to be lumped in with the Pharisees because when he's out at the Jordan River baptizing, the Pharisees and the Sadducees come, he looks at him and he calls them a brood of vipers. So he's not really excited to be lumped in with them. And Jesus is probably going, does John know that you're comparing yourself with these guys? And they're saying, so why is it that we fast? Because there's something evident that Jesus' disciples are not fasting the way they are. That's why I think this is a Monday or Thursday. They're all fasting. Meanwhile, Peter's over there. He's got a barbecue stain on his white T-shirt. You got Philip over there. He's got finger-licking good, you know, lamb chops going on. All this stuff. And they're asking. When Jesus responds to them, he not only confronts the legalistic fasting that they're doing, but he cryptically reveals his identity on a deep, deep level. The response at first kind of leaves you scratching your head, but when you begin to understand it, you're like, okay, I get it. So Jesus said this, how can the guest of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. They're probably going, oh, wait, wait, wait. We're not even talking about a wedding. I mean, you're in there having lamb chops with Matthew and all his sinner friends, and we're just wondering why you guys are eating on Monday or Thursday, and, and you're talking about a wedding. This is amazing. Remember whose disciples these are. These are the disciples of John the Baptist. 
In John chapter 3, verse 29, John the Baptist says of Jesus, he is the bridegroom. He is the bridegroom. John's basically saying, I'm just the best man. This party isn't about me. It's about him. John was seen as a prophet. And in the Old Testament, and especially in the prophets of Jeremiah and Isaiah, God's relationship with his people, spoken of in terms of a wedding, of a a marriage covenant, God is referred to as the bridegroom. So when Jesus says this, there's a part of him that's saying, listen, your rabbi, John the Baptist, referred to me as the bridegroom. And they know scripture well enough to know that in using those words, and John wouldn't just you know, use those just kind of without giving it any thought. He's not only the Messiah, but he is God himself. And the whole purpose of fasting is to draw closer to God. And Jesus is saying, listen, do you not understand? The reason you fast is to draw closer to God. I am God. These guys are about as close as they can get. They're with me. And then he, he predicts his own crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension. He says, there will come a time. There will come a time when I'll be taken from them. Then, he says, then they will fast. Then they will fast. But it's not necessarily on a Monday or a Thursday. And it's not made with your, man, your man-made rules or your legalism or when you say they should or just because the Pharisees do or just because these disciples do. He doesn't say that. He says, then they will fast. See, I, I think... I think the, uh, the, the instructions of Jesus is this whole idea of when and then. When and then. They says, when you fast, and you know, there will come a day, and then you will fast. So we see that in, in uh, Matthew chapter, chapter 6 and chapter 9, when he says, when you fast, and then they will fast. Notice what else he doesn't say. He doesn't say, how long they will fast, what day they'll fast on, the regularity of their fast, what they will fast from. It's not legalistic. It's not bound in stone. It's just they will fast. They will fast. But you see, there's this level of expectation that Jesus has for his followers. They they will. And when you do, But I want us to be extremely clear on this, that the expectation is a divine invitation, not an obligation. The expectation is a divine invitation and not an obligation. As I mentioned, last year we went into a a season of prayer and fasting for 21 days. And some of you are a part of that. And there may be some of you right now that are going, oh, no, we're doing this again. And, and, and I want to I say as, as clearly as I can, and I'm not being facetious, and I'm not trying to invoke guilt. Listen, if, if this whole, the whole thought of this just is dread to you, it's just drudgery, it's just like, oh, I have to do it because everyone else is, or I have to do it because my you know, friends or my small group or what. If, if that's the case, just don't do it. And I'm not being mean on that. It's just like, if you're going into it with this, I don't really want to do this. It's an obligation. Our stupid church is doing this, and Jesus tells me I'm going to it. Man, you're not going to get anything out of it, so just don't even do it. And, and I, I really am being serious on that. It's an invitation. 
Last year when we did this, for some of you, it was the first time in your life to ever even practice this spiritual discipline of fasting. Uh, Brian, uh, not Pastor Brian, another Brian from our Skagit campus, he wrote this after last year. He said, fasting has always felt like an obligation to do something for God. Never before have I understood fasting as an opportunity to draw closer to God and give him more space in my life. This last 21 days of fasting has opened my eyes to the simple yet essential practice of fasting in my Christian walk. Thank you for initiating this ancient practice and challenging me along with the entire Cornwall community to give up something good for the sake of drawing closer to God. That's the invitation right there. That's the invitation is to say no to something good in order to say yes to something even better. Don't do this out of drudgery. Don't do it out of guilt. Don't do it out of compulsion. Don't do it like because you're feeling manipulated. Don't do it for that at all. Jesus says, hey, I'm inviting you to do this. You don't have to. I want you to. All right, let, let, let me tell you one more uh, situation with Jesus. Last week, Pastor Scott uh, preached about the woman at the well. In that instance, when Jesus has this encounter with her about the living water, you, you'll remember that if you were with us, the disciples are not there because the well was out of town and the disciples had gone into town to get something to eat, to get lunch. So they come back out. I can imagine them coming back out. They've been down to James, James John's, which is later called Jimmy John's. And, and they're saying, hey, Jesus, we got lunch for everybody. And oh, you wouldn't believe it because this is not a Jewish area. This is Samaritan territory. They had like ham and cheese sandwiches. Crazy. I know we didn't, we, we didn't have any. We were kosher. They come and they say, hey, Jesus, we got food. Why don't you eat? And Jesus says this to them. I have food to eat that you know nothing about. I have food to eat that you know nothing about. And they're probably going, what? He's got a little backpack with a little food that he brings that he doesn't tell us about. Did he do one of those miracle things like he did with the bread and the fish? Did we miss out on something cool? What do you mean you've got food? And he goes on. And the disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? <laughs> First century Grubhub. You know, I mean, here it is right there. Uber Eats brings it out to Jesus. And Jesus, again, makes this statement that leaves these guys going, I don't have a clue what he's talking about. And Jesus said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Okay. I'll stick with the Jimmy Johns. But I think what Jesus is saying here, because he's not eating, but he's saying my food is something different. That there is a greater appetite that Jesus is satisfying. And in essence, this is what fasting is. It's saying no to one appetite in order to say yes to a greater appetite. And maybe that appetite is food that we say no so that we can say yes to more time with God, more time in his word, surrendering to his spirit, doing his will in this world. When Jesus was in the wilderness for 40 days, it says he became hungry. He'd gone 40 days, hadn't eaten. He'd become hungry, and the enemy tempted him to use his, you know, his divine powers uh, to turn you know, stones into, into bread. 
And Jesus quoted Deuteronomy chapter 8. And he says to, to the enemy, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. I've got a greater appetite than just my physical hunger. That while he was fasting, he was feasting and fulfilling another appetite. And the night before uh, he was crucified, he was with his disciples in the garden, and he used this phrase with them because they kept falling asleep. He said, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And fasting is about strengthening the spirit over the flesh. Because here's what will happen. And some of you know this from experience. If you fast from food, whether it be for a meal or a couple meals or a day or several days, your body will start saying, hey, 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 we're dying. We're starving. That's the opportunity to say, no, body, <laughs> you're dying and I'm feasting. I am continuing to grow in my spirit. I'm learning to say no to my fleshly desires in order to say yes to this great spiritual appetite and desire that I have. Now, I know this might be taken a little bit out of context, but Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, he said, blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. And I think we can apply this in the concept of fasting, in this practice of fasting. That maybe there's some hunger and some pain that we experience on a fleshly level, but we're going to be satisfied on a deeper level. In essence, you can say, it's like having an empty stomach, but a full soul. That maybe there's some groaning and growling here, but there's some deep satisfaction here. Now, listen, fasting is not just saying no. That's only, if, if you think, well, I just have to give up, I just have to stop, I gotta quit, I gotta, if it's only about what not to do, that's only half the equation. The other half is to fill up the soul, is, is to not just say no, but to feed that other appetite and, and to fill it with the things of God and, 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 his, uh, and his word. So we're gonna go into this season again of 21 days of prayer and fasting and invite you to be a part of that. And some of you say, well, well why the 21 days? Because in the Bible, there are times when they would fast for an evening. There were times they would fast for a day or three days or seven days or 10 days or 14 or 21 or 40. And some of you are going, couldn't we have done more like the one day or something like that? Let me tell you why we're doing 21. And part of this is taken from Daniel's example. I mentioned that Daniel had fasted. And uh, actually, at multiple places in the book of Daniel, you read where he fasted. And it's, it's a little bit... Um, more expanded than just kind of the classic, I'm just not going to eat for a day. So in Daniel, we read these words. At that time, I, Daniel, mourned for three weeks, 21 days, three weeks. I ate no choice food, no meat or wine touched my lips, and I used no lotions at all until the three weeks were over. So for three weeks, now there's another time early on in Daniel with he and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego did something for, for a different set of time. But for this time, he said, I'm going to say no to certain parts of my diet. There's certain parts of uh, delicacies, uh, some of the, the stuff I really love. I'm just going to say no to that. And in fact, I'm going to say no to, um, to meat. I'm going to become a vegetarian for this season. And I'm going to say no to alcohol. And, uh, and there's some creature comforts I'm going to do without. 
And, and for those 21 days, I'm going to say no to those things and pursue God and seek God. And so we're going to enter into these 21 days. Now, as I've said, the classic idea of fasting is to say no to food, whether it be for a meal or a couple meals or a day or several days. And for some of you, it just would not be healthy for you to do that. Now, some of you are saying, yeah, that's me. No, no, wait a second. Some of you have legitimate medical and health needs that that would not be a wise thing for you. But that doesn't mean you can't fast. You can see what Daniel did, some different things. So I want to give you, and, and I gave this to you last week, uh, last year, and, and also um, there's some resources on our website, uh, cornwallchurch.com. There's a tab up on top. You can go slash 21 day fast. There's some resources that are, that are on there to help you out with, with some ideas and some other things that daily devotionals, last year's sermons are on. There's a link on there. Uh, and some of these ideas that I'm going to give you of some things that you can do as you seek, what would God have you do? Remember I said, Jesus was led by the Spirit. Jesus didn't give the here's how long, how far, how often, how, and we trust that the Holy Spirit can lead you as well. But here's some ideas. Maybe you're not ready to say, oh, I can't just, you know, go without food. Maybe you start with, with a partial fast idea. And maybe like, like with, with Daniel, you say, you know, I, I can give up meat for X numbers of whatever, or dairy, or carbs, or fast food. I'm going to do it with that, or processed food. Um, alcohol, caffeine, soda, energy drinks, sugar, desserts, snacks, dressings, whatever it might be. You're going to say, you know what? I'm going to say, now here's the key on this. It's saying no to something that you'll actually kind of miss. Because for me, if I said, I am saying no to Brussels sprouts, I'd never think about it again. It's just not something I would miss. The idea is when you say no to something that is good, something that you want, something you might even need for a while, when you are reminded of that, it triggers you to say, okay, I'm going to focus on a greater appetite. And maybe for some of you, instead of it being a dietary deal or in addition to a dietary deal, there might be some other areas where you could fast, especially in our day and age. When this has often been referred to as a soul fast. Things like Netflix or Amazon Prime, Disney Plus, or television at all. Instagram, Snapchat, sports. Did I say that out loud? Facebook, TikTok, video games, Among Us, music, podcast, news, notifications on your phone that just kind of keep bringing you back to it, apps, YouTube, shopping, Fortnite, hobbies, even marital relationships. There is biblical precedence for that for a short amount of time. But some of these things are saying, well, I can give up a lot of those. I've never even heard of them. Those aren't the ones you need to give up. It's this idea that, you know what, these things that draw me, I want to say no to those. So I'm thinking, I want to check Facebook. You know what, I'm not going to check Facebook. Instead, I'm going to turn my attention to something of God. You know, I'd, I'd like to, okay, you know what? I'm going to do this. And as I said, it's not just saying no, but it's saying yes and filling up. And here's a list of ideas to fill up our soul with prayer and confession and repentance, reading scripture, reflecting on scripture, memorizing scripture. Maybe you say, I'll take a passage and for these 21 days, I want to memorize this or journaling, silence and solitude. This is what Pastor Scott preached about last week. Going in nature, doing a prayer walk, spending time in worship or serving or connecting, devotions, devotional reading, going back in some of the great hymns of the faith, just being quiet and listening, communion, celebration, praise, thanksgiving. This is not an exhaustive list. These are just ideas of how you can fill, instead of saying yes to this, I'll say no to this, and I'll say yes to these. I'll feed my soul. I will do these things. All right. So when do we do this? How long? An idea. I'm not suggesting you don't eat for 21 days. 
But there may be something you say, for 21 days, I am willing and able, and it would be a stretch, but I'll give up a portion of my diet, or I'll give up a portion of you know, my, my media or, or whatever. And that maybe there's something for the entire 21 days you say, I'm going to do without this for the entire 21 days. And maybe there's something you say, and, and, or, maybe it's in addition to that. Maybe uh, for 21 days, I'm going to give up sweets, desserts, and, you know, mochas and, and, uh, and Facebook. But I'm also on a weekly basis, once a week, maybe, um, maybe on a, a Wednesday, I'm going to, I'm going to do without food. I'm going to go, uh, or Wednesday lunch, or from lunch to lunch, or, or whatever. I'm going to do that once a week. Or maybe you say, there's something I'll do once during these 21 days. Like, I'll, I'll do some of this other stuff, but at least once, I want to do an entire day of food fast and focus on God and prayer and worship and, and spend that time uh, and that attention focused towards God. I don't want to dictate this for you. I trust that the Spirit can lead you. One of the resources on our website is, uh, is this, this page. It just kind of talks about preparing for the fast. And it just gives you some ideas of, you know, maybe you write down, what would I fast on the food part? What about the media? What about other things? And part of it is to write it down for your own sake. And if you share it with someone else, the only reason you would share it with someone else is for accountability and that they could pray for you. It's not to show off. It's not to compete. It's not to impress. It's not to say, look at me at all, or you miss the whole point of it. One more idea that I had, and those of you who are OCD will love this, at least part of it. So we're in the year 2021. It's the 21st year of the 21st century, and we're in 21 days of fasting. And... On January 21, 21, at 121, if you wanted, this will be the 21st day of the 21st year of the 21st century where we're doing 21 days of fasting. It's also the day after President Biden is inaugurated. And what if, what if we as a church chose that day, the 21st day, of the 21st year, of the 21st century, to pray for our governmental leaders, to pray for our president and our vice president, to pray for our governor, to pray for our country. I don't know what God will lead you to do in your fast, but I wanna invite you to join me on January 21st, if nothing else, to do something on that day, to fast, to say no to something, and together as a church, we unite in praying for our leaders, for our country, for our president, for our governor, the way that God has instructed his people to do. Okay, I, I, I promise I'll close with this. This is not meant to be guilt-ridden. This is meant to inspire. Jesus fasted. He practiced fasting. He taught fasting. He modeled fasting. He expected fasting. He invited people to fast. Jesus himself fasted. And the whole concept of fasting is saying no to something so you can say yes to something better. To say no to something so you can say yes and draw closer to God. And while Jesus did this on earth, on an ultimate cosmic level, you think about how Jesus fasted. He had the ultimate security in heaven. 
He had the ultimate glory, dare we say beyond luxury, the glory of heaven. He had the ultimate authority of all things, all authority in heaven and on earth. And he said no. He said no to his comfort. He said no to his rights. He said no to his wants. He said no to his will. He said no to his very life. He fasted all of those things. Why? So that we could be close to him. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. What was that joy? The joy was that you and I could have a right relationship, reconciled to our Father. And Jesus gave up his glory so that we could be glorified. He gave up his life unto death so that we could be done with death and have eternal life. He gave up all of his will so that we could walk in the will of God. And Jesus said, I did this for you. Now I invite you. Would you say no to the flesh and draw near to me?